Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Weirdos. Thank you for checking this out. I hope you all are having a wonderful holiday weekend. I meant to have this out a a while ago, honestly, or much earlier this week anyway, but due to a bunch of uh, sicknesses with the kids and Teddy missing his whole last week of school before the winter break, it's been a a wild week to say the least. But we are all ready for Christmas and this is a beautiful episode to drop. Although not Christmas themed, it's something that I'm really excited to share with you all and something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, My good friend Rob Christofferson is here to talk about the amazing Otto Binder, who is a a legendary comic book and sci-fi creator and writer that doesn't get nearly enough uh, shine as he should. I really have been infatuated by Otto's work and He's done everything from co-creating characters such as Supergirl and Black Adam to writing amazing science fiction, uh, EC short short story style comics like iRobot, and that is where Asimov took the name from for the story that the movie comes from, and so many cultural fingerprints left all over, and later in his life and career, he gets really interested in the uh, alien abduction and interaction phenomenon, and it just leads to some of the most beautiful writing and comics. daily comic strip or a uh, what's called syndicated newspaper comic strip called our space age and it is so good so rob really is the best person to talk to about this he has read a bunch of books including uh, otto's biography and we get into everything so enjoy this enjoy the holiday weekend check out all of rob's work linked below and otto's work also linked below and i'll be talking to you soon i'll have one more little christmas bonus coming uh, maybe right on christmas day so have a great weekend and take care. Bye-bye. robot or any of the stuff before the superman like more of the the pulpy science fiction stuff i haven't gone that far back yet but i definitely want to because i think i i think i'd get a a a newer appreciation for his his work because it it just seemed like he was in that milieu of of writing these like supermen and and such and i think you know just from reading his biography and stuff like he knew how to really script a story that was compelling for these kind of like invincible people and give them uh you know pathos and and such but like i uh, after this i definitely want to hit up like comiXology or something like that and go check out some of the early captain marvel stuff and even maybe some of the uh the few captain america issues that he did for jack kirby and stuff uh because yeah. I, think I you know those got to be fascinating too dude i haven't read those ones in particular and i actually was just i have a captain america collection that i was hoping they were in and they are not unfortunately but that's something i need to hunt down and read for sure so we are talking about auto oh man auto bender did i say it right yep. I don't, yep. yeah i'm still i'm so bad it's like names that i've read a million times but very rarely heard spoken out loud i'm really bad at so but 
uh, this is going to be a super fun conversation because this is somebody that's kind of been at the core of our relationship, Rob. I, I think mm-hmm. one of the first correspondence we ever had was you sending me uh, some of his drawings and some of his illustrations of witness experiences and things from which UFO journal was that from, that he did the Our Space, Space Age in? So Our Space Age was a uh, daily comic in the newspapers. It was oh, syndicated wow. uh, for about a decade from 1960 to 1969. And uh, it was originally called our ever changing world. And later (laughs) became, yeah, it later became our space age, which for the first about five years, it was dedicated to like space science uh, as it was emerging at the time. And, uh, that was kind of in his wheelhouse because he did write uh, for NASA and such. He wrote nonfiction science books, mostly to do with space uh, for kids and stuff. And then in the mid 60s, around 1965, he, he solely started to devote it to UFO encounters, witness encounters. And, and I think what made it great was you'll find a lot of the kind of like in the in the UFO history books and stuff and like in the journals you'll find like some of the more obscure and interesting cases but he also illustrated a lot of encounters that people sent him yeah. uh, which is uh fascinating because there are like cases in there in um uh one of the things that I did for about like uh probably 2 days last year was uh, I had a newspaper, newspaper.com subscription, and I ended up clipping just as many of them as I could that I had time for that uh, is in our shared um, Google Drive folder. And there's such a joy to to go through because like it's a, it's a simple the, – the way that he would lay them out is he would tell uh, – he, he would have a theme throughout a week. Uh, so like there were generally six uh, comics per week there was one image uh, and there was like a lot of writing associated with it and there are just really fascinating kind of encounters there's 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 one image distinctly in my head that I remember and it's um, this image of this one guy looking up at these two saucers that are kind of like uh, perpendicular to each other uh and they're connected by some kind of like looks like a chain or like a light beam or something like that. And it's like, that's a lot of the interesting stuff that you would find in that. And uh, yeah, our space age is kind of like, it was my introduction to auto bender. Uh, like yeah. I'd heard the name before uh, mostly in UFO circles, but uh, after doing that, I'm like, Holy crap, this is <laughs> like some really impressive stuff. <laughs> it's rare that uh, my interest in the U- in UFOs or the paranormal lends itself to teaching me new comic artists. And this, uh, you opened up a whole chunk of comic history that I had never even looked into. That is just fascinating. Like as soon as you sent me those and I Googled his name and was like, 
dude helped invent Supergirl. Like this is, and and this <laughs> yeah. is like where he, like this is so interesting. Like I love those connections. There's something to uh, comic creators who come up with these female characters also having really weird outer lives. Like the the dude that created Wonder Woman, uh, Marston, I believe his name is. You know, he had Ooh. the whole dominatrix thing and the several women yeah. that lived together in one house and was very into very uh, big weird ideas <laughs> for sure yes. it's all in there it's all in so i love this weird connection so as soon as i had the idea to do this comic series you were one of the first people that i thought of to reach out to so that we could talk about uh auto binder and go through and i mean i knew you would be the perfect person to talk to about him and then you sent me a picture where you just purchased two of these beautiful books i'd never even seen before and i am like oh yeah i forgot how good rob is at all of this this is going to be super fun <laughs> so i mean we can kind of jump in wherever you'd like like i am super excited to talk about him from a autobiographical standpoint and his uh, interesting upbringing in the midwest and how he gets into science fiction in general or wherever you think would be fun to take off from yeah, so Otto is an interesting guy in that he kind of, he essentially starts with uh, writing sci-fi pulp stories with his brother Earl, and they end up using this uh, pseudonym, uh, Yondo Bender, basically <laughs> E and O. <laughs> so <laughs> Earl and Otto, and they start submitting stories to amazing stories, which when you think about the UFO connection to amazing stories, amazing stories is edited by Ray Palmer and Ray Palmer was like the f first to publish, uh, um, Kenneth Arnold's story in, uh, fate magazine and, and such. Yeah. But like, uh, at the time him and his brother were just like, they were, they grew up in the Chicago area and they kind of fell in love with the sci-fi pulp writers that were uh, emerging at the time. And in 1930, they submitted their first story to Amazing Stories and, and they sold it. But, um, you know, throughout most of the 30s, that's what he and his brother were doing. Uh, they dissolved their partnership in around 1936, even though he continued to use it, you can like, you can go on eBay and you can type beyond Bender and you're going to find countless paperbacks uh, of like sci-fi pulp and hard sci-fi stories. And he does this for the better part of a decade. And then he gets into comic books and uh, his first taste of comic books is kind of through uh, Fawcett publications, which at the time, they were going through this transition phase where um, the owner of Fawcett Comics was kind of giving it to his sons and, you know, seeing what they could do with it. And in the early 40s, the late 30s, early 40s, like the comic books were starting to emerge. Um, there's a story that according to uh, it's uh, Bill Shelley, who is Otto Binder's biographer, that Siegel and Schuster actually approached Otto Binder at one point because he had made a name for himself uh, in, you know, with all these sci-fi stories. And the, the claim is that he kind of gave them the idea for Superman. I don't know how true <laughs> it is. 
<laughs> you know, there's like stories of, oh, what about an alien who was an orphan or something like that? And yes. like, you know, yes. kind of going with it. And the thing is, is like there are like Siegel and Schuster did like talk to Otto Binder. I don't know, you know, what that yep. led to, but it it is it's there like you know he's he's there right there at the beginning of like the comics era you know the whole history of comics is that way and even if mm -hmm. Otto wasn't like hey you guys should do this thing called superman where he wears a blue mm -hmm. suit and a red cape he probably did have a little bit of input in there and maybe the yeah. alien part of superman's mythology really did come from Otto. like i 100% would buy that and that would would take nothing away from uh Simon and Schuster like at all or Siegel and Schuster at all like that would definitely yeah. you know not diminish their creative in, uh contribution there but I think that that is par for the course as far as comics goes for sure um and mm -hmm. yeah that that early career when he is writing with his brother and they're doing stories I mean one of the most famous stories they do in that point is I Robot, which is like yes this beautiful beautiful story that uh i mean essentially it's a frankenstein story but with a robot and like it's one mm -hmm. of my favorite it's in the vein of some of my favorite comics with that like ruled the time which are these eight page stories of like you know shock and suspense or i mean amazing stories was also a chicago-based uh entity so it makes so much mm -hmm. sense that he would fall right into that uh that wheelhouse there and it's also one of those things where people don't even realize that you know i robot everyone knows it'd be either the movie or the asimov uh book and asimov took the name from binder he had to call otto and be like hey is it cool if i use this like yeah. i loved your comic yeah. and like that's one of the yeah. famous stories that you will hear about him and like those are those like he has so many of those fingerprints all over pop culture that no one would ever know and like i feel like more people should so i i love yeah, yeah i love stuff like that and yeah so he starts you were just saying that you know he works with his brother for a while and then as he's like transitioning to working on his own and doing more comics i know he does a ridiculous amount of comics i think like on at least the easy wikipedia number that i pulled up before we hopped on it was like four thousand four hundred stories mm -hmm. across different public like insane yes. amount of work right is he still writing sci-fi pulp and everything like novels and stuff during this time do you know he kind of takes a break from it because like uh he was making more money doing comics <laughs> at the time because like you know he's getting paid up to like uh, at the time, like $4 a page, you know, which in like 1950s money and 1940s money is, is a lot to yeah. do to like pump out these things. And like one of the things that you'll hear about Otto Bender, if you, you know, uh, just like Google his name on the dude was a workaholic and like he had the best routine. He, he did not get dressed. He wrote in his pajamas. He would literally <laughs> go up into his writing nook in his pajamas and just start banging things out because yes, from like dawn to dusk, that's all he did. And he put out like the dude's output is like on par with like, you know, some of the most prolific writers like that. He just like pumped out manuscript after manuscript, like and and like, I don't know how the dude had time for all that. And then like have unpublished manuscripts and, and stuff like lying around. But he largely took a break from the uh, sci fi pulp world to focus on comics from 
around 1939 to uh, the the early 50s, he did, you know, write a few stories here and there, but he kind of put the sci-fi stuff on a, on a back burner uh, until like the 50s. And even then he didn't really write a lot of stories after that. But um, yeah, it's uh, he just like went into this comic thing, which was at the time, like nobody nobody knew how big it was going to become because like a lot of people just assume this is a fad. This is just a trend and it's going to go away. And like, we're, they're still making comic books now. (laughs) Um, And uh, he becomes like infamous in the forties writing stories of Captain Marvel and uh, you know, Captain Marvel, Billy Batson says the word Shazam to turn into, you know, uh, Captain Marvel, which I think is the most confusing thing because like, you know, you, you uh, it, it, like, why didn't you just call the guy Shazam? You know, it's, it's just completely yeah. uh, confusing, <laughs> but uh, you know, he wrote 986 Captain Marvel stories is the Whew. number. And that's over half of all the Captain Marvel stories ever written uh, between 1940 and 1953 when uh, Fawcett Comics shut down. Uh, and the thing and, and, and the, the biggest kind of blemish on Otto Binder here is that, you know, Captain Marvel is essentially uh, Fawcett Comics answer to Superman. Mm-hmm. and in the 1950s after he's like written all of these stories and he's gone to work for national comics at the time which is is what would become dc uh there are lawsuits left and right saying that you know they were just basically trying to copy superman mm-hmm. and from like 19 i think it's like 1949 to about 1953 he has to take a break from comics because he's just like tied up in all these I lawsuits. Can't, yeah. <laughs> can't yeah. do anything. Yeah, yeah. That's super. So what's he do during that time? Like he does, he does like take a, like the thing is like the dude like does so much freelance work. Like he could just uh, <laughs> pick up with like anybody. And I mean, he, you know, he wrote like comics for like a lot of different companies too. Um, but you know, he primarily stuck with Fossa Comics and then, you know, DC in the in the 50s and the 60s. But I think he was writing a bunch of different things at the time, you know, just trying to uh, get through, make some money and stuff. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he eventually is a, he goes to work full time for DC Comics and he takes Superman and makes him a deeper character by introducing like a whole mess of new things, new, new villains and stuff Um, to, uh, to put it uh, bluntly. uh, He co-created Brainiac. He co-created Bizarro. uh, He created the bottle city of Kandor, which is, it's a fascinating story when you think about it, because it's like, you know, it's kind of his aside from like Supergirl. It's the only remnants of, Krypton and it's just this small small glass city that Brainiac shrunk down and stuff uh he created um he co-created Black Adam he um 
Titano, the super ape who, you know, shoots kryptonite <laughs> beams from his eyes. I uh, created Crypto, the, the dog, super dog. I uh, created the Legion of Superheroes, Supergirl. Um, he also created what Marvel would take uh, and, and use as the what if stories. So one of the things that Otto Bender would do is like out of like continuity in the Superman books, he would have kind of these uh like single issue stories that like would take place in a dream or something like that and it would like deal with the idea well what if lex luger less lex luther killed superman what if mm-hmm. you know like uh, you know all of these different kind of scenarios and stuff and like he was the originator of that and like just responsible for so much stuff in the superman mythos he took jimmy olsen spun him off into his own book and made him interesting beyond superman you know so dude no yeah i loved when i found out that he started um what is it called uh superman's pal jimmy olsen right yeah that's the line that's called that's one of my favorites because uh another person that i just talked about recently on this uh little series is jack kirby and when jack kirby moves to dc to start his uh big project of the fourth world and the new gods and everything it all starts starts in jimmy olsen like it starts in the Ooh. least exp- the place you at least expect to find this like really cosmic out there storyline but yeah and i thought that was such a, a beautiful connection but that uh, there's just so much creativity and so much like new mythology being generated and it's like in this situation that's very similar to kirby's where it's all happening so fast that I I wonder how much they can actually think about it. Because when you look at that amount of workload, how many pages is he writing a day? How many concepts are, is he like throwing at the wall? And like how much of this stuff is just not even conscious when he's like kind of like working through it and it's just kind of bubbling up and like coming out in weird ways. But uh, I, I think there's something really special to that time period where he really is like, just like when he's working with cc beck and just creating these like i don't know mythology after mythology and the work that he does afterwards on superman and all that it's just like these guys have so many careers within careers and it's not like it ends there it's not like he uh is Mm -hmm. is tapped out as far as stories to tell and it seems like a constant image or um a constant interest and source of inspiration is space and uh this like mm-hmm. big essentially these big ideas of the universe and extraterrestrials and aliens it seems to be in there from day one and do you know what he's like reading like is he just keeping up with the pulps and stuff or is he just kind of like what i i'm always interested in what kind of pop culture these guys are consuming while they're creating uh this whole new generation of pop culture yeah, so I for a long time he seemed to be like a skeptic of like UFOs and stuff. He was a hard science guy. So there is like a manuscript of an autobiography that he wrote in 1948 and like it has a lot of those kind of ideas and stuff in it where it's just like he's very dismissive of UFOs, which is interesting because of the the kind of hard turn that he takes in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, but like i think a lot of it uh comes just came from his interest in i forget what he studied in school in college but it was 
it might have been like biology or something like that and it just kind of intrigued him to the point where like he became this you know speculative fiction writer just uh because because i think that's you know how a lot of people handled that you have you have the hard sciences and then well what's uh what do you do there it's like well you know you could speculate about what science is going to find and, and and such like that and you know you get those the adam link robot stories which mm-hmm. if you if you do go and you read asimov's i robot there are a lot of similarities between the two uh to the point where like the first adam link story is basically about how he's brought to life how his uh creator is killed and he is blamed for the murder and he's literally on the run for the murder and like if you've ever seen the movie that's what the plot of the movie that's the whole is. thing yeah totally yeah. totally yeah no that's that's super interesting and so true and i don't know there's something there's something really uh, fascinating to me about these guys that seem to they can't stop like they have to constantly mm-hmm. be creating and they have to constantly and like that's why I'm always interested in what kind of stuff they're they're uh, kind of getting inspired by. And it is super interesting that he was kind of a, a skeptic at first and somebody yeah. that like came at this from that angle with knowing the like you said, the turn that he takes later on and like and not only that, but the stories that he's writing like they're not only like especially the stuff with superman like i think of that and the 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 work he does in the 40s there's like a a whimsical quality to it it's like the it's the stories that people think about in dc when you're like that's a real storyline like there are a lot of the times the auto stories where you're like well that's a wild one didn't see uh that coming so like it's interesting to me that he does have this very uh imaginative side but is is uh, at that point i would imagine in his skeptical phase of some of this stuff and it's also interesting to me how like you brought up that he invented uh the glass city of candor and some of the other themes you've mentioned throughout um he it's like he's from an immigrant family. He was the first, I think we said it's the first kid that was born in the States. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of those themes that come out in his work. And I think the candor, the city of candor and the Superman story in general is definitely one that he probably was really expressing some things, whether consciously or not about his personal story of coming, of being born in the States and like, you know, yeah. uh, growing up in an immigrant household and such. Yeah. And I think what Superman doesn't get credit for and like I I think Superman is largely thought of as like uh, there's no depth to that character because like he's just a super guy. But when you think about it, he's if he was on Krypton and if Krypton was existed, he would be very ordinary. He would be like everybody else. And you you also have to think like, you know, you, you get kryptonite. And every now and then, you know, you come across it on Earth and and stuff like that. And it's like the one thing that is from your home world, the one thing that, you know, would conceivably make you feel close to it. You can't even touch it. Otherwise, it will kill you. Like there's there's something very deep and poetic about that, that the fact that, you know, Superman is for all intents and purposes, an immigrant to, you know, America and stuff. But like everything about his home world is kind of tragic. I would say the only, the only thing that isn't is Supergirl uh, in and of herself, but like 
Glass City of Candor. Like the thing about it is that he can't fix it. He does. He nope. has no way of doing it. Like Brainiac is the only way, the only person that can that can conceivably fix it. And you know that's not going to happen. So like he has this, you know, small glass city that is in this you know bottle yep. that he just like houses and uh you know there's nothing that he can do about and like that's the theme over and over again is like there is nothing that that uh Kal-El can do about yeah. anything to deal with his home planet or anything and it and it's just like even if he wanted to it it would hurt him you know to to try and do it and like even from a psychological level that's got to play on you it's like everything about your home world is you can't do anything about it and there's kind of like no like reprieve from it or anything like that like i, I can like superman probably needs therapy at this yeah. point 100 percent, 100 percent, dude yeah. i think uh comics in general are and like art in general i should say but comics are this very special medium for processing trauma and when you look at the people that are creating mm -hmm. these comics they are jewish men living in new york who are first or second generation immigrants and like yeah no matter what the story is and comics are always an extreme version of everything so it makes sense that what you just laid out with crypt with kryptonite and how it's this one thing that you should be able to hold close as like a a uh, a you know very uh sacred object from your home planet would destroy you i think that's kind of true for a lot of immigration stories because if you're immigrating it's probably due to a negative you're leaving a situation mm. usually that you have to leave due to forces outside of your control for a lot of for a lot of the immigration stories in history right so you know yeah. there's probably a lot of baggage with things that come from the the home world or from the home and like it's not that extreme but it makes sense the comics takes that idea and ramps it up and it's funny because you know i i listen to a lot of comic artists talk and they almost always hate when people talk about comics in these regards because they're like no like joe and jerry were writing shit for seven-year-olds and they wanted to sell as money as they could and they wanted to like mm -hmm. this was a business product this was a product made for the masses but like i think even with that being true the other side can be just as true like they can be processing mm -hmm. these giant stories and these giant pieces of trauma without it being uh kind of conscious like they're they're in this act of making things and this shit just comes out you know like maybe yeah. they weren't consciously like yes yeah, superman's immigrant is an immigration story to uh, you know uh kind of be a what's the word I, why am i thinking a, a not a metaphor but a uh Oh man, what's the writing device you use in which to whatever, but essentially to be a metaphor for their immigration story, but they were writing it and it just happened to the two just happened at the same time. And I think that's really in there and like comics from there through like you want to talk about Kirby and like all the guys that go to World War II and come back and like they're processing this whole other layer of trauma through that like, mm -hmm. you know, giant chunk of some of the most famous comics like that were ever sold. And I think that stuff's super fascinating because we are working in a medium where the intended audience is like six to 12 year olds. Like, you know, like when, yeah. when, when, when Otto's writing these books, they're going on the newsstands to be sold to the youth. And like, that's mm -hmm. always fascinating to me. I think there's something, there's a really special connection there to, to, uh, 
these like very essential truths and like these really interesting ideas to come out in like essentially fiction being written for a younger audience. And yeah, I think uh, Otto, I don't think took that for granted. I think he knew his audience he was writing for and like leaned into it. Oh yeah. Like if you read the Captain Marvel stories, there is like a campiness to them that you won't really find in Superman. Like there's yeah. like, Captain Marvel says some of the jokiest kind of stuff that you'll ever hear, but like the, the stories were pretty freaking solid regardless. And I think that's kind of what he was going for when uh, he took over the Captain Marvel job in like 40, 41, somewhere around there. But Mm -hmm. I think at the same time, regardless of whether somebody is, is writing, uh, you know, being inspired by something to write a certain way for a certain audience, whoever's reading it can take whatever they want from it. And I think that's, you know, the, the one of the things about art that is makes it enduring is that anybody can take something that you may not necessarily see in that piece of art and, you know, take from it that which you cannot see or that which you cannot sense. And that's the enduring thing about art. You can go to an art museum and you can have a historian tell you like the significance of every art piece and the way that people are posing and like what's included in it and like why it reflects the time and and stuff like that. Yes. And I feel like comics, comics kind of get that bad rap because like, you know, it's, treated as the simplistic form for kids but like some of the deepest stories i've ever read are in comics um like the two that i always revisit every year and and i've probably talked about them before is craig thompson's blankets and um jeff lemire's complete essex county two completely beautiful like like big book thick graphic novels that tell really deep stories and like to assume that because the the originators were writing for children that those original stories weren't deep in parts or weren't you know there weren't elements that were alluding to something deeper i think is ridiculous because like we all put you know different parts of ourselves and our experiences into the art that we do Mm -hmm. like with you specifically like you you have specific, you have you know said over and over again like you want to have a positive impact you want to put something positive on the page regardless of how scary it may be because you know you want to show a different side of these things and and like again at the same time you can look at those stories and like especially if you're talking about like you know welcome ufo people like mm-hmm. A lot of them are presented in, you know, these like cute and endearing ways. But you can also read into that and say, well, wow, this is also completely fucking terrifying. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it's scary Absolutely. as hell. Like, you know, if uh, you know, you look at the one for the De Costa creature, like the cutest thing about that is like it looks like it's this little kid that's just trying to make friends with other kids. <laughs> and like 
it hear like you know it makes this mooing sound and makes you wonder well is that the only thing that it hears is this how people communicate and it makes and it makes a mooing sound and, yes. and stuff but like i think that's the enduring part of, of of just art is that you can find yourself and you can find other things in it that you would never necessarily think you could find and uh even in you know a story about a superman you know saving the world from you know different things there are deeper elements to it and and that's something that Otto Bender you know worked with in some of his stories Otto Bender was a very progressive left-leaning person and you can yeah. read that in his stories like you know there's a um I forget exactly which issue of superman but there's a very feminist take in, in one of those stories there's you know like a um a lot of things because like he experienced you know bigotry being you know a german immigrant you know and yep. stuff to this country especially during the first world war you know shortly after he's born because hey guess what you know your your enemy is the german people so uh you know, and, and he experienced that more ways than one. And being a guy whose name was Otto Oscar Oscar Bender, you know, probably <laughs> doesn't help you no, on the playground. No, but no, not at all. And but like, he was, to, yeah. But no, to say ahead. that, but to say like you know that those guys didn't take their experience and put it into you know comic books for kids is ridiculous to me. No, absolutely. absolutely and yeah. he was so aware of his responsibility to talking to the youth at the same time. Like one of the things mm -hmm. I told you, I stumbled upon a college professor who did these really uh, kind of interesting deep dives into the autobiography or not the autobiography into the bi biography of uh, Otto. <laughs> I said autobiography and then I realized that it sounds like yeah. autobiography <laughs> and it's just not going to yeah. work to say it that way. The autobiography. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things he mentions is that uh, Otto is very specifically writing in allegories. Like he wants all of his mm -hmm. all of his stories to teach a lesson in a certain way, and yeah. all of those lessons are what we would see as very progressive for that time. And I think that's like mm -hmm. it's super interesting to to have that in mind when reading those kind of old stories, and especially the ones that are more on the science fiction side of things. Like he really utilizes that to the best of its ability. I feel like in certain ways. Um, so. Once he's, you know, moving through and has the success with the comics and he gets to, you know, he has these creations that he's probably making some residuals from and he's probably doing okay financially and stuff. Is this when he, where's the transition from him going from making these comics to starting to really invest in the things like our space age and stuff like that's in the sixties. So what is this fifties kind of transition like for him? He gets kind of burned out with comics in the late 50s a little bit. Um, he gets kind of burned out writing Superman stories and stuff. And he starts to do less and less of it until he uh, ends up being the editor of a space journal. I forget the exact name of it. But uh, he starts to you know take on that job. And in the meantime, he's like, well... I need something else to do. So he decides, well, what about a, you know, a, a comic? Uh, it's, you know, see if we can get it syndicated in the papers. So he reaches out 
to a guy named Murphy Anderson who kind of illustrates for the first, I think like maybe year or two. Uh, it takes a while for our space age to reach like syndication at a significant level to mm-hmm. where he's making money. I think it's like, it's not really until 1963 and um, our space age was not just printed in the U S it was printed in other countries too. It was, um, and it made it into the papers of a lot of different countries. But um, after Anderson kind of stepped away saying, you know, I'm, I'm not making enough money doing this. He, he reached out to a friend of his named uh, Carl Fuffer, who basically did a lot of most of the illustrations for our space age. And like it's very newspapery of the time. Like when you look at it, it it's it fits in with like a lot of the paper comics of the olden days. Yeah. Um, but like it's also just like fascinating and like it it sticks out in a newspaper because like you know when you when you're dealing with like peanuts or family circus or something like that, you know what you're getting. But like with this, it's almost kind of like that Prince Valiant level where you get a lot more writing than you do kind mm-hmm. of like comic in it and, totally. and stuff. So, you know, what you're getting is like a lot of the time is like Otto's musings about space and, and stuff like that. And you can actually find some of the uh, comics for that online. I've seen like uh, there's one web page that has like a bunch of them on it. And um, uh the the transition in 1965 1965 is like kind of this landmark year for ufos ufo culture and stuff uh it's kind of the year that ufos said you can't ignore us anymore here we are we're not going away we're knocking on your doorstep and it was a worldwide thing but in america you know from the fifties onward, the topic had been ridiculed by newspapers and, and such. And in 1965, that was the first year that the newspaper said, Whoa, what the hell is going on here? This is weird. <laughs> and it's kind of like the weirdness, just like it let itself all out. Like if you want to like picture the weirdness, uh, the weirdness is like, you know, just that person, you know, undoing their fly, uh, sitting on the couch with a beer and stuff and just like <laughs> letting it all out. Like, that's how weird it got because I love it. This is the time period. And, and regardless of whether, you know, this spurred the imagination of like people at the time, who, who knows, there are countless humanoid sightings like it was such a, it was a time period where it said where it seemed like not only the ufos but the aliens were like we're here we're going to appear there's nothing you can do to stop us we're just going to show up to a bunch of people and a lot of the classic cases that kind of made a big name started to go down in the in the 65 66 67 you know, Mothman is probably the most infamous of that time period, but there are countless encounters with strange and weird aliens. And, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that a guy who is, you know, speculated about science fiction for so long and has written about an alien from another world, you know, mm-hmm. in America and stuff, it seems kind of obvious that he would 
kind of flock to that subject. And again, like if you read, there's like a blurb in his biography that is uh, in um, that is, is from his own autobiography about how uh, he wouldn't believe you know, that UFOs were real unless those aliens got out and said, bleep, blorp, bleep, blorp, bleep, blorp. <laughs> and classic. Yeah. And classic. And like, he makes a hard turn. Uh, and, and I think there's a major influence in his life because of that. Not just because of like, I don't think people realize in general how big the 65 to 67 stuff was. Mm hmm it made the public pay attention to the UFO phenomenon. Like a, it made a lot of people that weren't necessarily interested in it, pay attention to it. And it kind of changed the trajectory of it until about the 1980s. Uh, it made humanoids and aliens in particular and talking about them more acceptable to do because there's just so many sightings at this point that you, you can't ignore them. Like a lot of people are seeing things uh, ranging from, you know, like I said, Mothman to little aliens that carjack two dudes in Ryrie, <laughs> Idaho. And then uh, another guy in uh, a guy named David Morris in uh, Ohio ended up hitting an alien with his car in like 1966. <laughs> and like, there's just like a lot of these weird cases that emerged during this time period and it, it was just like you know the aliens hurrah saying you can't ignore us anymore we're here and uh sorry we're not going anywhere and i think that definitely had an influence on bender um yeah and i think like you know because uh in the 60s he published two books about flying saucers the first was what we really know about flying saucers and to be honest if you are not familiar with the UFO topic, it's honestly a great book to pick up and read through because it's a great overview of UFOs, what they knew uh, in 67 when the book was published. Like, And it covers like a wide variety of everything. It really is like, do you want to know about this subject? Otto Binder is going to teach you about this subject. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. I have to check that out. Yeah. And then a year later, that's when everything changes. Um, he publishes this book, Flying Saucers Are Watching Us. And this book is basically, um, in the way that he shapes his theory here, is that he basically believes that human beings are hybrids or alien hybrids. He calls them homo hybrids. And he believes that aliens basically came down, manipulated our DNA and stuff. And, and like, you know, there it, it's the dawn of ancient astronaut theory. Von so Donigan after Von Donigan and everything, like had he read that and stuff? And uh, it was like Von Donigan published in 67, I believe. And okay. then uh, 68 flying saucers are watching us appears. And I think like his hard turn was largely due to the death of his daughter, Mary, in 1967. Um, that was going to be a question, because that's mm -hmm. one of the most tragic things I've ever mm -hmm. read about. And yeah, yeah. I was wondering if that if you thought that played into this whole uh, switch. I, I think it does. And uh, one of the reasons that I think it does is that 
Bender started to uh, dip his toes into a lot of different things. In his biography, there's a chapter, it's chapter 18. And there is a seance that takes place in there that allegedly a, um, uh, who the heck was, uh, oh, a young Frank Miller was there taking part in this seance where he's trying to reach out to his daughter and his brother Earl. And uh, the the interesting thing is, is if you, if you read, uh, it's Rorschach number one from 2020, there is a little bit in there that is featured in that comic. I think someone's listening to a tape because there's a tape recording of it. Wow. Uh, that uh, Bill Shelley got his hands on to write the book. The death of his daughter heavily affected him to the rest of his life. Uh, he did publish a third book in 74 uh, with a uh, co-writer named Max Flint called um, Mankind Child of the Stars, which is, uh, you know, about astro evolution and, and how we play into that. And and Von Donneken did write the intro to it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So from about 67 to 74 when he died, he was starting to get into like a lot of weird stuff. Um, it just seemed like uh, his daughter's death just like had a really heavy impact on him. And he also had a, a son with uh, Down syndrome that, um, and to understand how people dealt with kids that had that, that at the time, they would have them basically committed to two asylums, which is what he did. Wow. Um, him and his wife. Uh, and like the, the book acknowledges is like, uh, you know, there were not perfect people, but like, you know, he, you know, that's definitely a dark part of the history of auto yeah. bender, but like, man, yeah, for some reason, go. yeah, for some reason, you know, uh, because, um, I'm pretty his, sure his daughter like, was like a really like quit. Like it was what happened? Like it was a tragic thing, right? Like it wasn't like she got <laughs> sick or anything. Was it a car accident? It was a car accident. Okay. I couldn't remember because that's man to lose something that somebody that fast after having like that, having any at any time a kid with special needs or extra like it's just I can't imagine like the no matter how you decide to handle it, what kind mm -hmm. of emotional and mental toll it would take on you and then to lose one so quick. And so, yeah, that's, and I mean, this all essentially leads down a far too uh, common narrative for the comic artist and comic creator of, uh, you know, having an early end to your life and tragic one without money and stuff because his last publications and mm -hmm. things did not go well. Right. Like his, no. the, the, was it the space, was it a comic that he was editing? Because I know he started the, his own space magazine, right? Like that was like yeah, his thing. Was it a comic or was it a more uh, in the pulp? I think like, it was more like a journal. A um, journal, okay. Correctly, yeah. And, and, and was that yeah. the, his final? Pro, like that was the thing he had to declare bankruptcy for and everything, I mm -hmm. believe, right? Yeah. yeah, that's so. That's man. It's one of those parallels between 
paranormal investigators and writers and people and comic uh, creators that I've noticed all too often is it seems to end with kind of sad lives in a lot of instances and people that uh, turn devices and uh, lots of tragic ends in, in both financial and personal ways. Like when I hear Joshua Cutchin say often to this day in interviews that he avoids paranormal experiences, not because he's scared of ghosts, but because he's scared of his family members getting cancer in a year or like yeah. you know these other big tragic things that go down like i can kind of see what people are talking about sometimes when you step back and you hear these stories of like how you know, this dude invented some of the most lasting comic properties ever and like should he should have regardless of the personal tragedies at least died a wealthy man or a man of some sort of mm -hmm. means and like you know been taken care of like you would think it would not end in uh destitute uh yeah, I guess not poverty, but, you know, in better financial means at the very least. So I, it's just such a bummer to see things uh, culminate in that way. Yeah, it is um, because, like, you know, it, it kind of harkens back to the, you know, spiritualism of the 1800s and stuff where people would reach out to psychic mediums and stuff just to get some kind of sense of closure and, like, for some, it just becomes an addiction. It becomes yeah. like the next thing that, you know, kind of gets you through. So you're doing seances and, you know, writing yeah. books and stuff like that. Uh, you know, he, he wrote a lot of interesting articles uh, during that time period of the late 60s for Saga magazine. In particular, he wrote about Ted Owens, the PK man. Mm -hmm. And um, that the like you could go read those online. Those are fantastic. Um the archive for the unexplained has them up there. He wrote like four articles about it because like Ted Owens is like one of the more interesting contactees and in the fact that he kind of like emerged in lit in the mid to late sixties claimed that he could harness the power of lightning and uh, you know, had telepathic communication with aliens and stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a wild story. Um, and it really is interesting to see a guy go down that route of, uh, you know, trying to, you know, kind of figure out what is real, what is, you know, not kind of opening yourself up to what can be. And I don't think necessarily that the death of his daughter kind of played into all of it, but I think it did play into a, a good portion of it. I think he started turning uh you know around on the ufo phenomenon during that 60s time period where it's just everywhere and yeah. you know enough documented sightings can kind of make a believer out of anybody when you really think about it um there are a lot of you know stories like that of people you know just kind of reading a, a body of work and realizing oh there's something weird here and in that that kind of stuff has you know been happening for a long time um the the guy that wrote the spaceships of ezekiel i can't remember his name but he basically went in after von donikin published chariots of the gods and said well i'm gonna figure out that like no this wasn't you know uh a, a, a ufo or anything like that and then he eventually comes to the conclusion like oh it is a ufo or at yeah. least it was to him and it's like okay, I guess anybody can be convinced of anything. And I, and 
that's true that's that's the thing about bender is like he's a hard science guy like he is there at the dawn of space science uh he is an expert on it uh he wrote a number of books on it and you can't take that away from him but it's just yeah the end of his life was not the best period of time for him and you know that's kind of the way it is with a lot of uh you know figures and and i th- and i definitely think that does play a part into his legacy and why a lot of people don't know him as well as they should you know yeah like you know a lot of people look and i guess it's becoming uh less this way but a lot of people would say that him investing more into the weird and into the paranormal or the UFOs was probably not a helpful way to get his legacy remembered. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like to go out on this. And I know that there was some drinking issues and stuff like that. So I'm sure there was some personality things and a bunch of other stuff in which we do not know about because obviously people are people. But I definitely think it's interesting because that's something that I guess maybe it's kind of almost like just the time that we grew up whenever I hear people talk about like oh I use like I'm worried about my interest in this thing affecting my professional career or my this or that I'm like isn't that kind of bs at this point and like it probably (laughs) is like you know like but like when he was working it probably really was like a way to kind of fuck yourself as far as you know getting a a more prolific or a more you know successful endeavor in the in the later especially if you're writing for like you know a science magazine but also kind of uh going down this the the world probably wasn't ready for the hybrid approach at this time in a lot of ways no. and <laughs> if it is now but uh but there's it's super fascinating to me and he's somebody that i think again just has so much more to do with the uh, the way that we view both pop culture and the phenomenon and all of this stuff that like doesn't get talked about nearly as much. And as soon as I kind of uh, like her, I can't remember where I heard it first, but I definitely heard it before I read anything about it, but I heard about his daughter passing away and him kind of having this downward spiral from then to the end of his life. I was like, man, that lines up too nicely, like, or not too nicely, but it's just, it fits the mold too much, you know, like, it's Mm -hmm. one of those things where it's like, you never hear about, I think Kirby has a similar experience, like, all these guys, there's, like, such, such tragedy in a lot of the, uh, in a lot of the background of it all, and he also, he moved to upstate New York, was that before or after his daughter died? Was that all at the same time, do you remember? Uh, I also thought... I also thought that was interesting that he moved up to upstate New York and then like went into because I mean, upstate New York just has tons of weirdness going on. Obviously, it's got you there. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's got. Uh, but at, at the time, it's just one of those things where like there's so much going on. Like he has already had so many careers and done so much in the way of just creation and just like leaving a mark on the world. And then there's this whole other side of his life from the 60s on that's much shorter, but it's what introduced me to him. Like, it's just so weird to me that the stuff that like it took me coming to UFOs and being interested in that side of things to find out about this, like, you know, giant of comics history, which is something I've been interested in for 
as long, if not longer, as I've been interested in the paranormal or UFOs. So I don't mm. know. I'm I'm just glad that there's someone like you to tell these stories and to like talk <laughs> about this with, because if not, it's one of those things that I would probably just drive myself crazy being like, this is the coolest thing ever. I have no one to talk to about it. So I'm really glad that <laughs> there's <laughs> there's other weirdos that love this uh, kind of uh, middle point of creativity and just like its connection with things like the ufo or the paranormal experience and stuff I, I i think he's such a beautiful example of that and i yeah like i i really i can't wait to finish his biography i haven't finished it yet i know it's one of those uh i'm so bad at reading and i probably should just get it on tape and finish it way way quicker but i started <laughs> it i'm gonna finish it in the book form but is there yeah. anything else that you want to touch on before we wrap up here as far as Otto or just uh his impact on you know what he did for the ufo world or the comics world or and where would you like to leave the folks with <laughs> i think he deserves his flowers and i think he's always deserved his flowers because i it just seems like in the in the conversation of golden age and silver age, like legends, whether you're talking about like Siegel and Schuster, Bob Kane, whether you're talking about Jack Kirby, uh, Will Eisner, like all of those guys and what they contributed to the comic book world. I think Otto Binder deserves his name up there. And I think, you know, he's kind of gotten, a little bit of um you know kind of like a resurrection uh, as far as more people are talking about him like you there was a great video i found uh from comics alliance uh about the 10 best creations of auto bender uh you know talking about it and stuff that's so cool yeah, yeah. no it's and it, it's it's one of those things that you want to see get out there more like you mm -hmm. want like uh, one of the things that i was just kind of looking around um before we started this conversation and i was uh just googling his name and he had a book come out last year or this year it, it seems like last year but this year from fanographics which was a script that he wrote called the unwanted and uh, mm -hmm. it's uh on the unwanted judgment day for earth and so they had yeah. it finished and uh fanographics published it this year so i'm gonna be ordering that for sure i think it came out in february of 2023 and i was like it's so weird that like he's still there's still new work coming out from him i love that like there does seem to be somewhat of a resurgence of an interest in his work and yeah i mean is there a collection of the r space age or is that something that you've ever seen anybody uh kick around the idea of because something like that would be yeah. really cool to see like yeah uh the person that's kicked it around is me because i want to <laughs> see it and like i've literally said fucking i i don't care i will fucking launch a kickstarter I, it does not matter i want to see them like in a book because i think it would be so freaking cool to see those kind of you know in in books that i have like calvin and Hobbes, and like i have a, a book of peanuts it would be great to see our space age kind of get those flowers and i don't really know who has the publishing or who has the you know who has those but like i would love to see them in a book form at, at some point and i think what's great about his work is like 
with the advent of like comiXology and Marvel and DC's online platforms and stuff now, you can go read his stuff. Whereas, you know, before that you wouldn't, it'd be tough to track down, you know, his stuff because it's, it would be highly sought after a lot of that stuff because I mean, it's, it's, he starts writing Superman kind of as the silver age starts um you know a lot of the all the captain marvel stuff is golden age and it's it's just great that people have this ability to kind of rediscover all of that stuff and i think you know if you if you go down and you're like curious about reading kind of the first issues earliest issues of like superman and stuff like keep going for the ride you're gonna find so much great stuff you know when you when you finally get around to it uh it's just there's so many ways to rediscover his work and i mean like our space age doesn't have that and i really wish it did and i hope that it can at some point uh, and you know, maybe I'm after I'm done writing my book, that'll be the next thing I obsess over and try <laughs> to figure out is how do we get these into a book form? Because I think they could be appreciated now, um, given, you know, just the nature of it and, and stuff and, uh, you know, give the dude his flowers. Cause he definitely deserves his flowers. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and even like now within, like the UFO circles, I, I'd encourage people to go read his articles, go read, go read, you know, what we really know about flying saucers. It's a really good book. And, and even, you know, flying saucers are watching us go read it. You'll get kind of a kick out of it because, uh, you know, you'll read cases that you know have been mentioned on my podcast and, and stuff. And, you'll find a lot of familiar stuff in there and yeah, it's a little kooky at points, but it's, it's still a fun book to kind of scroll through and, and stuff. And totally, um, but like, yeah, dude just deserves his flowers. And I'd encourage everybody to like, there are bibliographies of his work online, go check those out. And then, you know, go on to, you know, those online outlets and just, Go read those issues because they're fucking great. They're amazing. (laughs) Hell yeah. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, I thank you so much for doing this, Rob. This was such a fun episode and I'm real excited to share it with everybody. It's going to be, it's coming out this weekend. So it's going to be a nice little Christmas treat for everyone. Should should we, we, should we tell people about, about our, our, our kind of project that we kind of want to do? That's what I was just about. Yes, that's what I was just about (laughs) to ask you to elaborate on. So please tell everybody our new project because I have. So you haven't even seen what I've started for it yet, but you're going to I think you're going to really like it. I think you're going to. It's going to be a good one. (laughs) So we like I I never failed to mention that our space age was, again, a huge influence for me when it comes to welcome ufo people uh just in the way that we you know capture these stories i it's one thing that i've tried to embody to a certain extent is um what Otto bender did in that comic and a while ago i came to todd with this idea um just to try and put out more content uh with welcome ufo people because we're 
you know, we're, we're such busy people and we have a lot going on. So I was like, Hey, what if we do like one panel a week and we do it like our space age, we give it a theme over five, six weeks and you're getting this one panel a week of like a cool story. So what we came up with is the, uh, what we're calling the weekly bender and the weekly bender is just, um, you know, it's going to be again, focus on UFOs and stuff, but like, it's going to be themed over, you know, a period of weeks. And our first one is on the humanoids of 1947. It was uh, something at the time that I was looking into because uh, it was of particular interest for the book that I'm working on. And I'm like, what if we, uh, what if we just did this and you were, you were on board and stuff. So it's like, hell yeah, let's, let's freaking do this. So um, yeah, like uh, you'll, you'll start to see these, you know, start coming out and I, I can't wait because like, uh, I don't know. I'm always the kind of like ideas person of anything. Uh, I mean, like you, you do bring your ideas to the table and stuff. And like, you know, especially with when it comes to like the production side of things and stuff, which is great. And then, like, I'll, I'll come out of nowhere and, and just be like, hey, what if we did this? And she's like, hell yeah, that's a great idea. So, yeah, you can look forward to the weekly bender um, it's, starting soon. Yeah, I have the first, like, uh, five roughed out and ready to rock so that we... Hell yeah. Because so, I wanted to get a chunk done before we started this. That way we just have them in the, in the bank mm-hmm. and we can just start putting them up nice and easy and give myself a little bandwidth to get ahead on stuff. But uh, you'll yeah. be seeing the first one with the drop of this on Saturday so everybody can look forward to that. I'm gonna. It won't be the artwork for this because I've been working on a portrait of uh, Otto for it. That's uh, mm-hmm. my, I've been really excited to do portrait of the comic artist that I'm talking about in these episodes. So I have a a, a specific one that's going to be going with this. But in addition to that, there will be the first of the Weekly Bender. And I'm so excited to start. Like, yeah, we put together some really good ones for this, Rob. And I think people are going to enjoy it. Um, Yeah, I am... Welcome UFO people again. It's been one of my favorite projects that I've gotten to work on over the last year. And I am so excited that we are getting close to the point of being able to put this together as a zine and Mm -hmm. be able to put out a physical copy of it. And yeah, that this month will also be dropping next week for everybody is my plan is to have it done for Christmas Eve. So (laughs) I don't know if I, I don't think I've told you that yet, Rob, but I, I have that in the works too. Yeah. My plans do a nice Christmas Eve little, uh, little drop because, you know and it's close enough to ghost stories right ufo stories still count for uh for christmas eve oh, ghost yeah. stories i feel like <laughs> oh yeah hell yeah so yeah no that's that's you're getting a lot of welcome ufo people yep. here folks it's, it's and, coming and, yeah and yeah. like uh you know it's like that's that's the thing about like doing this project is that it's expired it's inspired other projects for me i probably wouldn't be even considering writing my own book if if we hadn't done this because it's like you know uh like the belief like when you think about a project like welcome ufo people from someone like me who is not like of that kind of artistic bent where i can put you know my hand on a page and, and and you know create something that uh you know resembles art you know I'm, I'm i'm working on that and i'll get there eventually but it's just like thinking these projects and seeing them come to life uh you know it's inspired me to write my book it's inspired another project that i have going on with uh 
with Jonathan Dodd uh, yes. called Aliens Say the Darndest Things, which <laughs> uh, there's two installments of it out uh, that you can check on uh, Instagram at Aliens Say the Darndest Things. But uh, one of the things that I've always been fascinated by is like the nonsense things that aliens have said to people. And uh, what's great about Jonathan is like, I'll give him an idea. I'll give him the scenario and he'll be like, Okay, I'm gonna put my twist on it. This is this is what. Okay, so uh, the the first installment was uh, uh, the Zamfretta abductions, and there's this point during the Zamfretta abductions where uh, Zamfretta is being hypnotized, and like this voice starts coming through that is not his own, and it starts saying some wild and philosophical <laughs> stuff, and Jonathan's like, okay, so let's imagine these these aliens sitting around a poker table and uh you know they start this one starts spouting off about this and another one turns to him and says hot mike larry (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it when i saw those first couple go up i was so excited jonathan's one of my favorite artists and like such a good so good at like nailing the new york style uh the new yorker style comic style like yeah he, he mimics it perfectly while still having a nice for you know jonathan dodd take on it um he's somebody that i'm uh, setting up an episode to talk about comics with in the near future i'm excited to uh to ask him a few questions about making those with you too so that oh, yeah i am so stoked i mean regardless of welcome ufo people being awesome and being at like the fact that it encouraged you to make more stuff that's like mm-hmm. it could end this month and i'd be like it did its thing then like anytime that something i'm a part yeah. of encourages somebody to make something else i'm like word it did what it was supposed to do then because i mean that project with jonathan is beautiful but your book the little bit that you've uh given me a peek behind the curtains here has gotten me so excited and like i think you are the perfect person to be laying out this project so i can't wait to have you back on to talk talk about that at some point and just the process of writing it and going through it all. I mean, it's a, it's a big undertaking from the little bit I know, and I can't wait to hear more about it. Yeah, man, I can't wait to kind of share it with the world and really put my, my, my take and my beliefs on like aliens and appearing to people that, I don't think has ever been out there. And um, I'm glad that, um, you know, all of this kind of allows me to, to be creative and seek out other creative outlets because like, you know, when welcome UFO people came along, that was kind of at a time where the podcasting element I was still excited about and little by little, it just kind of waned because it's like, Oh God, I've done this for so long. It's like, (laughs) I I feel that at a certain point, I'll just one run out of stories and two, like the creative process to put together a podcast is like completely different when from something like welcome UFO people with like a bank of things that I can put down in uh, a Google doc and, you know, watch it become, yeah. uh, something else so like to be able to like have the confidence to do something i've never done before is huge and that's what welcome ufo people has done and now it's like turning into all those projects so yeah dude this is beautiful and it's fucking amazing you know yeah 
Well, that's wonderful. Well, is there anything else you want to plug or leave the people with? I know you started a different podcast that you've been uh, yes. just recently launching that is uh, less alien based, but still plenty alien based, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> fictional aliens. So, exactly. Like, yeah. So uh, back in, earlier this uh, summer, I uh, started a D&D type podcast with some friends that's set in a modern setting um, that's UFO themed and stuff. It's called Welcome to Sunderland. And uh, we just started putting out episodes of a podcast. So if you're interested in kind of a D&D uh, &D podcast that's modern, heavily UFO influenced, you can find like a ton of Easter eggs. If you've ever listened to uh, our strange skies and stuff, and you learn kind of that history, there are a lot of Easter eggs that I included in that game. And the second episode just dropped this past Wednesday. And uh, yeah, I'm just having so much fun editing it and, and running it because I like my players are so fantastic. They, create such these great and funny moments and uh it's just like a it's been a joy to listen back to so i hope everybody checks it out it's welcome to sunderland and it's available where you get all your podcasts and uh um, yeah. yeah aside from aside from that just uh keep checking out welcome ufo people and keep checking out uh aliens say the darndest things yes there'll be links to all of that below Rob, we'll do this again soon. Thank you as always, dude. This was a blast, and I, I love hanging with you. Can't wait to do it again. Hell yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Todd. Nope.